Episode 40 of the Game Podcast. I'm your host, Jerry Thompson. Here with me is Brian Gottlieb. And Hour of Devastation is out on Magic Online, so we delayed the episode by a day in order to get more reps under our belts, and I'm, I'm feeling pretty happy about that decision. Yeah, I just I learned a tremendous amount about not only the deck that I kind of am in love with right now, but just the format in general over the last two days, just jamming games nonstop. And uh, I got to say, I'm, I'm loving this format. I'm having such a good time exploring this. And I think we have a ton of interesting stuff to talk about this week. Yeah, me too. I think we both had kind of a similar experience where we're playing against a wide variety of different decks. And like every time you play against something cool or unique, it's like, oh, I, I want to try that. <laughs> yeah, just an incredible amount of diversity and just cool ideas, stuff that feels like it's been missing from Magic for a little while. And you know, it's it's driving me in a way that a set has in a long time to just explore and think and mash all these deck ideas together. Uh, it, it, it's really a successful set. I'm kind of blown away, actually. Yeah, it doesn't seem like it adds much, but the things that it does add, and obviously, like, the banning helps a little bit, too, but, I mean, there, there are enough things going on where people get to actually explore and create new ideas and stuff. Yeah, a lot of tier two archetypes got a bunch of help, which I think is a major catalyst to all this exploration that's going on. And also, it, we have to remember, this is the first time in a long time that a new set has come out and hasn't really been constrained by these super oppressive cards. Things like Emrakul, things like Marvel, things like Cat Combo. They were just such a oppressive force on the metagame. So I, I feel like we've kind of gotten our license to brew back a little bit with them being gone now. Yeah, feel free to mid-range. It yep. is okay. Yeah. All right, so let's let's start with you. You've been playing mostly green-red ramp, right? You had a green-white one, but you haven't been playing with it? Yeah, I've pretty much put green-white to the side for the time being and, and focused primarily on the green-red ramp list. Okay, cool. So wh what is what is different about your deck? Like, we both played against ramp. We talked about the different versions a little bit. What sets yours apart? Like, why do you think yours is correct? I'll be honest, I think I just have the best version right now. Everything else I've seen doesn't really feel close. I have in my main deck nine deserts, uh, four red ones, four green ones, and a scavenger grounds. That's the graveyard hate desert, which has been tremendous for me. We'll talk more about graveyards as we move through this episode, I'm sure. But the card has just been absolutely clutch. And I have some weirder main deck inclusions. I have Thought Not Seers in the main. I have Walking Ballistas. And then I have a lot of Sweepers. I have three Sweltering Suns, two Hour of Devastation, three Chandras. And obviously all this stuff leading towards eventually ramping into Emrakul via Hour of Promise. I think I, my deck plays a fair game much better than a lot of the other ramp decks I've seen. You can just be kind of mid-range, especially in post-board games. I have access to a really great plan with Reality Smashers and Tireless Trackers that I think is getting me a lot of points against the control decks. The deck has been great. I've played 11 matches over the past two days, two leagues, and I'm into my third now. I'm nine and two, you know, small sample size. I'm not going to say this is a, that much of a favorite against the field, but the deck has just felt phenomenal. It really does exactly what I needed to in all situations. I should mention I have a Traverse package in there too. Traverse has been very good. I was speaking with someone about the deck today, and I think honestly, if Traverse didn't exist, you'd probably still play a tune with Ether. It's just worth it for the you know, early smoothing of your mana. But the fact that Traverse turns into an Ulamog in the late game, big plus for that card. Yeah, I, I'm just loving it top to bottom. I think this is where the format starts in my experience. This is the level one deck. This is what you need to be prepared for. Cool. Uh, I think I'm two and two against ramp so far. And sometimes their lists kind of feel like a little bit clunky. 
Uh, a little bit like they're trying to do too much with like a lot of different weirdo graveyard shenanigans. Uh, some of the ones I played against have been trying to like flashback spring to mind and stuff. So I like the idea of just keeping it clean. Uh, very similar to like Jim Davis's old list. It's like the ramp deck doesn't look like really fancy or even really powerful compared to the other things in the format. It's just like I'm gonna I'm gonna try and survive to get to Ulamog, and you're for the most part gonna get it in good, right? Like sometimes you know. Maybe your your tenth mana ETB's tapped, or you draw too many threats, or not enough threats, or whatever. But like a lot of the time, you are you're you're a favorite to do your thing and actually win the game. Yeah, I think that's a good explanation of the deck, and it's also uh, a really good piece of insight into my deck building style. I think I tend to build in a very linear fashion, kind of no frills. You know, this is our game plan. Every single card in my deck is going to be in furtherance of that game plan, or you know, letting me survive to that game plan. I think. As far as the card selection type cards, things like the ramp spell, the blue-green split ramp spell, I just want Chandra. Like, that really functions as a good piece of card selection in in the mid-game. And, you know, there's plenty of times where you're happy to just play a Chandra zero and let it die. I've made that play many times, and now you're with a hand full of gas, and you just figure out the game from there. The disruption of the Thought Not series, I can't overstate how valuable that's been in the mirror against control decks. You know, this isn't something that a ramp deck should have access to. We're not used to having targeted discard in our red-green ramp decks, and it's a game changer. It totally changes how you have to approach matchups. I see people playing things like two-mana ramp creatures. I just don't think you can do that. That doesn't seem to me... All you're doing is turning on all of your, all of your opponent's small removal. You gave them a target for the Fatal Pushes, and you gave them a target for the... Uh, a braids. I, I think you just want to control the board, you know, play your sweepers. And while we're on the topic of sweltering suns, I love how much cycling is in this deck. We touched on this a little bit last week, but we've all played the ramp deck and, you know, drawn our ramp spell off the top in the last crucial turns and sat there and died. There's so much cycling in this deck. We have four lands that cycle. We have dissenters deliverance, sweltering suns, our wrath cycles. That's great. There's a lot of matchups you don't want to wrath in. Now it turns into another card. If I sound excited about this deck, it's because I am. I want to share this deck list with everyone. I probably haven't been this excited about a deck in a very long time. Cool. It's on It's on the docket for me to play with. It's not really my style, but like I've I've valicuted some people. Valicuted? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I've, I played Green Red Devotion, the, the PT that you played Rally, you know? So it's like, I'm, I'm willing to do this. And if it is as good as you say it is, and I'm willing to believe it because like my decks have built with it in mind. Like I'm hedging a little bit, you know, I'm having like more negates instead of dispels and stuff like that. And yeah, it's it's been tough. And I'm playing like an Elder Deep Fiend deck, right? Like a, a fish deck. And I, I should be like, okay against you, but instead I'm just kind of getting crushed. So yeah, when I was thinking a matchup that I was concerned about on paper when I was kind of brewing this deck was the White Blue Monument deck, you know, obviously fairly fast clock of access to a bunch of disruption. That matchup has been so laughably easy. I'm kind of taken aback. It's it's the only matchup actually I've played more than once in across these leagues. I've played it three times. 3-0-6-0. I only sideboard one card against them because our main deck is set up so well. Thought Not Seer is surprisingly effective against them. The fact that we have four main deck artifact removal spells now for the monument kind of are dealing with their best way of getting ahead of us. And we also just have eight sweepers in our deck. <laughs> like that's very yeah. difficult for a white-based aggro deck to kind of overcome. You know, it just hasn't been a huge problem. Metallic Rebuke is actually pretty easy to play around. I get to a lot of spots where I just don't cast cards into it. I'm able to wait successfully because I do have, you know, the cheaper sweeper like Sweltering Suns, which is very easy to play around Metallic Rebuke. I'm trying to think of if there's kind of a deck that preys on ramp right now. 
I don't feel like I've seen it. Maybe in your experiences, you've seen something that's kind of designed to beat up on this style of deck. But for me, it, it hasn't really shown its face yet. Well, it's weird. I mean, Mardu should be the deck that does that because it's like, oh, you have cheap creatures. You have uh, Scrap Heap Scrounger, Heart of Kirin, Gideon, like these things that are generally tough to deal with. But now that you have a Braden Hour of Devastation, it's just kind of laughable. Yeah, our answers got so much more effective. Those those two cards that you just mentioned are totally changing the way you're able to approach matchups like that. It's kind of hard to un- overstate the effect that Hour of Devastation has on a deck like this, right? Like cleaning up Gideon, that's the card that enables those kind of mid-rangey decks to to prey on these decks for so long and why decks like this couldn't exist now that we have a nice clean answer for gideon things are looking good for ramp i'll be on team ramp for quite a while now until someone shows me something that uh has a significant edge against it yeah until you get new perspectives comboed out or something yeah but even that i I mean look i'm not going to say new perspectives is a good good matchup but post board when you're able to bring in a more aggressive game plan with reality smashers you still have the disruption of thought not seer i don't know i don't, I don't think i'm that big of a dog in that matchup if i was 45 55 against new perspectives and like fairly good against everything else i would totally take that even if i was 40 60 you probably take that too if you're positive against the rest of the field so yeah of course and, and i don't i don't think you push that far into a negative matchup against those decks because the eldrazi just bring you such a significant clock and a disruptive clock at that so so I, I played a little bit with the White Blue Monument deck and I think my article went up earlier this week at some point. And are you familiar with my invitational list? Yes. Okay, so we had the Essence Scatters in the sideboard and like a Dispel, no negates. And a lot of that was just like for the metagame we expected. And now I think it's a lot different where you actually need the negates because of the ramp deck and because of things like Chandra Flamecaller and Hour of Devastation and stuff. Like you can't just let those things fly. Like... You, you are able to play through sweepers relatively easily, but at some point you actually need to kind of turn the corner and like start putting a clock on them because you can't just like keep letting them sweep you and you're just going to keep drawing cards and whatever because eventually they're going to mog you and then you're going to lose, you know? So like you need a lot of negates and yes. your, your point of metallic rebuke is certainly valid and I think I, I like the two rebukes in the main, but I wouldn't go any further past that, but... Yeah, I mean, like, you need some help in that matchup, but it all depends on what cards people are playing. Like, if people are still copying our list from the Invitational, then, yeah, their ramp matchup is going to be horrid. But certainly, like, if ramp actually continues to do well, and I guess they posted the deck list today and no one 5 would with it, so, like, you're in the clear for now, right? But yeah. things could change, you know, and things could be a little bit more hateful for you, and I still think that matchup's going to be overall positive for you. Like, Thought Not Seer is just a huge deal when you are trying to curve that into an Hour of Promise or a Chandra or whatever, and you just get to, like, tag their removal spell and brick wall them on the ground. And But I do think that people could be doing things a little bit better against you. Yeah, well, let's be fair. Like you said, this hasn't showed up in the 5-0 list, and I think that this wasn't one of the decks that the hype train was really rolling on prior to release for whatever reason. I mean, I, I feel like Hour of Promise started to pick up some momentum as we got really close to release. It wasn't the flagship card. It wasn't something people were talking about in the weeks leading up to uh, the Moto release. So there is a little bit of lag here. I kind of expect Moto to react very quickly. I I don't think, you know, the the days are gone where you can kind of do something like this for two weeks and get away with it. So I think you will start seeing more negates and it, it will be a problem for these decks, but they present options. And like I said, when you're able to just go into a tireless tracker package and then play this like weird attrition-y game, I, I just think you're able to reform just as well as opposing decks are. 
which is a level of flexibility that you don't usually get out of a red-green ramp deck. I mean, I hate this style of deck. I, I, I never play red-green ramp. Even in Valakut days, I passed on red-green ramp. So <laughs> so for me to be ranting and raving now, I, I think we're on to something special here. Yeah, this, this, it kind of reminds me of Genesis's ramp deck, for, like the Goggles one. Yeah. Like, that deck was just, like, kill your stuff, draw some cards, like, kind of incidentally ramp, but it's not a huge deal if you're not, because if you're slowing your opponent down and getting extra land drops that way, then that's fine. That's that's still part of the same game plan. So, yeah, I, I see people, like, overloading on ramp cards, and I think really what they should be doing is just, like, toning it down a bit and playing more interaction. Yeah, it feels when I when I'm playing games with this deck, it feels more like I'm playing a Jun style deck than I'm playing a ramp style deck. Yeah. Um, and you know, obviously those two threads have crossed paths in the past. You think about old standard style Jun lists that were kind of uh, you know, ramp and growth Rakdos return lists that era. Yep. Um, I'm getting a lot of that kind of vibe from this deck. It, it feels very similar to that, except the top end is you know way bigger than it was in those decks but definitely the same kind of gameplay decisions and the same kind of you know stop your opponent from implementing their plan and you just kind of hold this inevitability over the vast majority of the format yeah no i like it definitely something i am going to try in the meantime i've been playing some teamer emerge how do you feel about that deck I am very interested in what you have to say. I think Emerge, if I'm super excited about Ramp, I'm only less excited about Emerge because I think there's a billion ways to be building this deck, and I'm curious how you're building it right now. wrote about this deck also. I, I cleaned it up. Like uh, The Japanese list had some Vessels, had some Glory Bringers, had a World Breaker, you know, just like a bunch of random stuff. And now you have like strategic planning champion of wits that just smooth out your draws to the point where I think you can basically just try and do the same thing every game. I'm back to playing Vessel now. I'm not sure if that's going to stick or not, but like planning is exactly okay. It is, it is what you want it to do. It gives you a use for early blue mana to try and find like the green source for turn three. Champion of wits is awesome. I don't know. It's it's weird where like you're you're playing kind of like this tempo game. Sometimes you're a combo deck where you set up K return Elder Deep Fiend against Aggro, but most of the time it's just this tempo game where you're like slowing them down a little bit. You Deep Fiend them and then you just try and put a clock on them. But if that doesn't work, you just now you have Eternalize off of Champion of Wits and you have enough interaction in your deck to actually trade one for one with them and then just refuel and put a big body on the board and like hopefully that's good enough. Like you just get a really really solid mid game plan. Yeah, Champion of Wits has been. A super super impressive card for me um i know we touched base in the middle of the week and we were talking a bit about emerge lists and I, i'm starting to think that and, and i'm sure we're going to talk about this there's a billion ways you can build emerge right now but it could be the decks that focus on kind of maximizing that card will be the ones that end up in the best spot i've started considering things like Drownyard temple i think just getting the eternalize of champion is such a game-breaking play for those decks now that we're incentivized to kind of get this incidental ramp um while we're doing all this dredging drown your temple as a card is one that you know when that card first showed up kind of seemed broken to me and it's fallen so far off the radar maybe it's time to start exploring those avenues the format's fast man and it, it is er, it it was i think it slowed down a little bit because gideon is so much less effective at actually beating up on these mid-range decks than it was before so it is possible that with less Gideons, you can actually just do things like Drown Yard Temple into World Breaker and like those sorts of things would slow people down or even in this case like Drown Yard Temple into Champion of Wits, whatever. I think the beauty of Drown Yard Temple is though that 
it doesn't ask anything of you. Like you just have to be discarding it, which is like kind of what your deck does anyway. It's seeing all these cards. It has a huge amount of velocity, you know, some versions of the, these type of builds more than others. But all it does is fill in spots in your mana inefficiency. Like obviously if there's no mana inefficiency in your current game plan, then you don't have to go to the Drown Your Temple route. But the second there's a turn where you're like missing a play, okay, now I'm ramping. Yep. Incidentally, I don't I don't know that that's the way to go. I'm not like all in, all of your decks have to have Drown Your Ramp. That's the only way you're going to be able to play Champion of Wits. But it's an interesting avenue and one that I think is a little underexplored right now. No, I agree. I'm definitely interested in that. And after playing with this green base one, it's like, what are my green cards? You know, like I have Traverse to find more Deep Fiends. Obviously, that's fine. I have some graveyard setup stuff like Vessel and Grapple. And then I have like a mini energy package with Servant of the Conduit and Rogue Refiner. But the, I'm not going super hard on energy. Harness Lightning is mostly Doomblade, which is good. But I don't really need it. You know, the, the Servants are fine, but I, I'm not playing Chandra or anything to actually ramp into. It's just like Tracker play a land maybe. So yeah, I can certainly see doing away with the energy stuff, and some of the games that I've lost have been me having two Deep Fiends in hand and them just using red removal to kill all my early stuff, and I, I never get any traction, you know? So I can totally see a world where I go a little bit harder on the self-mill stuff and start playing stuff like Stitchwing Scab, maybe Prized Amalgam, and just get rid of the energy stuff, and at that point, uh, I'm kind of just looking at Blue-Red Emerge, you know? That's been the list that I've worked the most on as far as Emerge decks go. Just a, a really clean Emerge list. I'm playing Hollow One in my Blue-Red Emerge list right now. I think that card, it's starting to feel like a miss for me. I, you know, I've messed around with it in a few spots now, and it's not as good as I thought it would be. It's just awkward. It's, it's very difficult to set up Hollow One turns. And I, I mean, you kind of knew that going into the card that it requires some setup. It hasn't been as smooth as I want it to be, but its best home for me has been in, in blue-red emerge, you know, very graveyard and emerge focused build. I actually currently have not only the four Elder Deep Fiends, but three Wretched Griffs as well. Thinking being, you know, when you're doing all this champion of wit stuff and then hollow one on top of it, you have all these huge bodies laying around and you definitely want to take advantage of it as much as possible by emerging all over the place. The deck's been good. You know, I haven't played enough games, but it's it's running smoothly. I'm interested in exploring it some more, but there's just so many varieties of Emerge decks to consider right now. So many Elder Deep Fiend decks out there. I don't even know where to start, to be honest with you. There's just too much. One thing that I will say is that with all these huge bodies, I, I think you just want to be attacking. I don't think you necessarily want to tr like cash in your Hollow One for a Wretched Griff. Like, if there was a way to make the deck a little bit more aggressive, I might be happy with that. Like either Bl Blood Rage Brawler or Hazaret or something like that. Yeah, so there are options to do that. I mean, obviously, we could look more into the Scrap Heap Scrounger type realm, the Dread Wanderer type stuff, and get these more explosive starts. I will say that in testing various black-red aggro decks, which kind of also leaned a little bit on the discard synergies, not the Emerge stuff, obviously, they felt a little underpowered. But once you start adding Elder Defiend to the mix, things could change if you're playing cards like that. I've seen just straight blue-black emerge before relying on those cards. And it looks pretty good. It's It definitely has merit. I mean, you just think about going Dread Wander into Scrap Heap Scrounger, and then you can actually play your prized amalgams for once. And then you just have this kind of never-ending late game of recursive threats. It's interesting. I, I think it kind of folds a little bit under the weight of Ulamog right now. But I could be proven wrong on that. You know, they may find a clock that's just fast enough where the ramp decks aren't able to keep up. No, I, I do agree. I think it's pretty similar speed to Zombies, and Zombies is mostly going to lose out to, like, Sweepers into Ulamog a lot of the time. 
So yeah, you need to find some way to do it. Like Blood Rage Brawler obviously helps because it's just enormous and puts them on a pretty reasonable clock. Hollow One gets around Sweltering Suns, but not Hour of Devastation, you know. But maybe it's just Hazaret. Like maybe that's the card, you know. Like you just pick a turn where you kind of go all in. You get to play a Hollow One, then your Hazaret's active, and yeah, you just play three big things basically, and not try and play like a grindy game. Yeah, just out of nowhere, win the game. I could see that approach working as well. As I keep saying, so many approaches, very difficult to find the right way that all these decks want to go. Yeah, so I was kind of excited for this PT, especially since the set was kind of weak, because it's like, oh, okay, it'll be pretty easy for me to like pick a deck, and then all I have to do is learn how to draft, and it should be fine, right? But now it's like, oh, man, I have so much work to do, and there's yeah, not things, enough time. Things don't feel that way at all. Like I, I mean, I hope it's coming off how actually astounded I am, because we sat here, you know, a couple weeks ago, and we're like, eh, not that much here, a couple little upgrades. Everything's gone bonkers. There, there's so many new decks out there, so many options. We just have to parse through it all. I mean, I guess this is what I love about Magic. This is what I've been missing for all this time. So I'm not complaining. I'm very excited to get to work on this. No, it, it is awesome for sure. And uh, to be fair, like this PT isn't like the most important for me, I guess. So it's kind of whatever. Yeah, and... but you got you to gotta want to be the guy who goes back to back, right? I have yeah, to think. Yeah, yeah, of course. That's just like, that's the way we are. When you achieve one goal that you've chased after for so long, you're always like, well, what's the next goal? And this is a goal that you could be the only, I, I believe the only one to do. Did Kai ever win back to back PTs? I think he did. He yeah, because there was, there was the whole EDT eating his hat thing. Okay. Well, listen, that's pretty good company to be in. If it's you and Kai who have won back-to-back PTs, I think you'll be very satisfied with that. So I, I wouldn't write off this one quite yet. Yeah, I mean, that was it's not like a realistic goal that I can that's actually it, have on my that's mind. crazy. Anything. Listen, you wouldn't show up if it wasn't a realistic goal. You, you know you're capable of winning a Pro Tour. Oh, I, man. I know there's a huge amount of variance, but it's certainly realistic. And sometimes things just run in waves. Like I, I don't believe in luck. I don't believe in fate. But sometimes when things are going good, you get yourself in the right mental state to keep them going good. It is possible, but I have played in tournaments since then, and they've not gone great. Okay. Okay, that's fair. I've not achieved maximum flow or whatever you want to call it. (laughs) You're just saving it all up. You're you're storing flow. Yeah, saving it for the PT. If only that was a way that we could do things. (laughs) I I guess I talked about the Team Emerge deck, but, like, not really how it felt. So I'm willing to try new things. Uh, I think I got, like, this this teamer, like, kind of mid-range fish version about where I want it to be, and I have, like, sideboard plans and stuff, but now it's, like, because of all the, the decks that exist and, like, the different iterations and stuff, like, I feel like I should basically never play the same deck in a league twice. Yeah. So I think the Team Emerge deck is okay. It's, like, a B-plus, maybe, and I'm, I'm looking for that solid A, you know, but as far as, like, backup plans go, it's a fine one. Yeah, that seems like a fine approach. Just keep cycling two things through things until someone like really strikes you. You know, you find the deck that you're just like, ooh, this is this is special and all over it. And I do, I do think you can feel that when you've played Magic for as long as we have. I think that's a real thing. There, there's just a feeling about decks sometimes where you're like, yep, this is the one. Even when you see it in a rough state every now and then, you're just like, yep, this is the deck I'm investing all of my time in. And I, the most pronounced I've ever had this feeling. This was for. Uh, an old extended PT for Pro Tour Amsterdam 2011, where Ben Lundquist brought me a dredge deck very early on in that format. It was my first Pro Tour, actually, so I was also super into it. But I probably played a thousand games with that dredge deck before I showed up at the PT, because I was so sure early on that it was worth investing all of our time into. Yeah. You know, it just happens sometimes where you just find that lightning in a bottle. No, I agree. I mean, I I had the same kind of reaction when Todd showed me the blue-white monument deck. Yep. Where I was like, oh, okay, this solves a lot of problems. And, like, 
okay, we have issues here, but if we add essence scatter, then it's like, what are we worried about? Oh, nothing. Okay. Mm. And then it just worked out perfectly. So yeah, sometimes you see it and it just happens to be great. Yeah, I like your approach of just just keep cycling. There's too much out there for you to... I, I know you're an iterator, but you're going to have to wait until you find your home to iterate this time, I think. No, I know. I know. In, in the meantime, I'll probably just be looking at various prized amalgam decks. You said you played against some interesting ones, like straight blue-green? Yeah, crazy ones, man. So I, I played against actually two versions of blue-green amalgam decks. One was like Delirium-based. Um, it played Traverse. It played Grapple. It played Vessel. You know, it, it had Amalgams, it, it searched for uh, Ishkana at one point, and then it had all the graveyard stuff that you would expect, the, you know, scabs and whatnot. Other one I played against that was blue-green. Oh, I should mention that that first list that I'm talking about, I just was like scrolling through the trophy list. The guy who I played against who was playing the deck had two trophies already. I don't okay. know if that means it was with that deck, but just something I picked up. But the bonkers one I saw was another blue-green Amalgam-based deck. And this deck, for its engine, used Perpetual Timepiece, Cropsigil, and you already—you just told me the name of this card, and I already forgot the name of it. What, what was the card? Crawling Sensation. Crawling Sensation, yeah. So he was self-milling on every turn, and uh, if you don't know Crawling Sensation, it mills you every upkeep. Every time, for the first time, each turn you put a land into the graveyard, you get to put a 1-1 insect token into play. Yeah, so you'll basically get two every turn cycle. Yeah, because you're usually perpetually perpetual time piecing on your opponent's turn and you know you have a pretty high hit rate it's it's rare that you miss yeah and and then from that basis he had all the scabs and amalgams and all the stuff you would expect it seemed powerful i left the game fairly impressed by it i i won but it just it it felt real it didn't feel like someone was doing something goofy and like totally off meta it was like oh maybe this is actually a deck and, and, you know, he also had Elder Deep Fiends to continue with the, the blue-green trend. But I don't know what is incentivizing me to try one of these lists above the other. Do you know what I mean? Like, what is the distinguishing point? Why do you want to play the Delirium-style list? And why do you want to play this weird enchantment-based list? What's setting them apart at this stage? Yeah, I don't know. So right now, I think Hollow One is probably a good complement to Prized Amalgam and Scrap Heap Scrounger. And I think that Elder Deep Fiend is... A fine compliment if you don't want Hollow One and you just want to play, like, the various scabs and, like, beat them down with flyers and stuff. But if you're trying to, like, play Hazaret and just, like, smash them with big creatures, then I think Hollow One is good. So I don't I don't think I would necessarily merge the two. But as far as, like, what specific enablers you play, I don't know. I mean, like, my teamer list has the energy package and some harness lightnings and yourself milling a little bit slower and everything and... That just means that post-board you get to play real games against people. And I've had people boarding Graveyard Hate against me. It, like, doesn't really do anything. Whereas I think, like, a Crook against this deck is probably Lights Out. Yeah, that's the big distinguishing point, is that these decks are starting now to cross over into dedicated Graveyard decks. So how how hard do you want to go and why? I think that the answer is, in week one, as hard as possible, but... Long term, these decks are going to have some real vulnerabilities as people start packing things to deal with graveyard themes, which were recurrent throughout my time on Moto in the past two days. Just graveyard decks everywhere. Um, and, I, you know, you'd have to be blind to have spent two days, the last two days playing and not think, oh, I should probably be willing to account for these type of strategies. 
Yeah. Um, so, so I think that's the barrier they're going to run into. And, you know, maybe the same barrier that Ramp's going to run into. At some point, people are going to be like, oh, I actually have to account for this in my deck building process. Because it's the Wild West right now. You can do whatever you want. And, you know, half the time you're going to catch your opponent with their pants down and they'll be completely unprepared for what you're doing. Um, that's not going to last forever, though. Yeah, the difference is that the graveyard stuff, like, there is actual graveyard hate now. It's not great. It's not like Relic of Progenitus or whatever, but, like, it is good enough for you to play and have it be good against these decks, and there's not really an analog to fighting ramp. Correct, correct. Just, just like, incidental things like negate and stuff, but, you know, we've already talked about ways to kind of counteract that plan, so. Yeah. I mean, all, all I wanted against ramp was, like, a tireless tracker and a counterspell, you know, and it's like, here's hoping that's good enough. Yeah, I, I think that, a lot of the lists have even more spot removal than I do, though. So leaning on that is difficult. Who oh, it's not, I, it's, not, it's not a great plan. Yeah. It's just, <laughs> don't get me wrong. It's just like the best I could do. I don't, I don't want to spend all my time gushing about how good ramp is against all of your sideboard strategies. But uh, <laughs> I should probably pump the brakes a little bit on that. But yeah, I, I thought the blue-green graveyard decks were really interesting. Uh, along those lines, I also saw straight blue-black. You know, just Dread Wanderer prized amalgam type nonsense uh again using strategic planning as kind of the engine uh obviously your engine is much worse there but you get to play kind of a fair beatdown game eh. yeah you can you can just cast your jackal pup and your two mana three two yeah i i personally am less interested in that style of list but it's there it's worth knowing about no i i'm less interested in too like if you're gonna play that sort of deck i mean the the best way to do it is to just get as many prized amalgams as possible, right? Yeah. And I, I don't think that Dread Wanderer into Scrap Heap Scrounger is going to beat a lot of people necessarily. So if if that's like your plan B, it's not great. Like, if you're going to try and do this graveyard thing, I think you kind of have to go for broke unless you can also play a mid-range game. Yeah, I will say that a deck which I, I haven't seen much of it. I only played against it once, but it's it does seem like people are very high on it. It's just straight blue-red control. And and I don't know if they've started adding crooks to their sideboard yet, but it does seem like they would struggle with that kind of recursive beatdown plan a little bit. So I for PT Kaladesh, I played the red-black uh, Voldaren Pariah deck. You remember this thing? I do. Okay, so yeah, it was, it was like Crypt Breaker, Neonate, Scrap Heap Scrounger... Amalgam, Haunted Dead, Pariah, Lightning Axe, whatever. Mm -hmm. And the matchup against the blue control decks was generally really easy as long as you could kill their Gear Hulk. But if you couldn't kill Gear Hulk, they can just like sweep you, sweep you, and then kind of go over the top of you, similar to what you're doing with your ramp deck. Okay. So I think it's roughly the same as it was, except it's a little bit more difficult because they have better ways to stop you from actually getting going. You know, plus they have things like Magma Spray, which are kind of annoying. They have multiple different sweepers. They have like Chandra Flame Caller. Yeah, I don't know. It, it seems like the the graveyard decks got some stuff. The control decks got some stuff, and now it's like closer to even. And then post board, you know, they're going to board in like Thing in the Ice if they have it, and that just puts more tension on your removal to actually be able to kill their big thing. But yeah, as long as they're not putting you on a clock going long, you're going to beat them. Okay. Uh, I have played against a lot of Gear Hulk decks, though. Apparently, you you have not had the same experience. Uh, I've only played against, looking over my notes, one Gear Hulk deck total. Okay, I, th I think Torrential Gear Hulk was like a third of my matches over four leagues. Interesting. Yeah, the only time I played against it was in a blue red deck, and they were actually spa splashing black for Bolas. Yeah, so Brennan DeCanio has been streaming that. I actually played him on stream and. <laughs> with Teamer Emerge, I won what looked like an impossible game one, 
And then I just chucked games two and three. So not not a great result. But yeah, he just added like two hour dev- devastations and a nickel bolus to like pretty normal blue red. And okay. it had been doing pretty well. So yeah, I think that's kind of the level zero approach to, you know, blue red upgrades. But people seem to be very positive about the deck in general. You know, we've talked in the past. It's not a style I love. I don't know if Hour of Devastation fixes my problems with blue-red, but I'm sure I will play some games with it at some point because I do desperately want to find a control option. You know, my time with control this week was spent on blue-black. That deck was not good. I do not recommend (laughs) it to anyone um, if if you've seen my list that I've been circulating. Uh, I thought there were some interesting cards in blue-black. I was messing around with the uh, consigned split card. I thought maybe being able to gear hulk Instant speed mind rot might be something that these decks really took advantage of. It is good. It's a, it's a fine effect to have access to, but I think the black base control decks just have too many fundamental problems right now. You need to be able to exile um, as part of your removal suite. So I, I see why red gets the nod because it has access to magma spray. And I see why I would explore white as well because declaration in stone seems like a fairly well-positioned removal spell right now. So Yeah, I like spray over push in the format just in general. There are enough trackers and rogue refiners and stuff, and and uh, champion of wits too. Like spraying a champion of wits is actually awesome. Yeah. And harness lightning is so much better than grasp of darkness. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I had high hopes for blue. I mean, it's just one of those things that like you want this style of deck to be good because you've played it in the past, and you have to get your games under your belt before you can talk yourself off of it. But yep. I got my games, and then I talked myself off of it pretty quickly. So <laughs> it's good to have yeah. that out of my system. I like that strat. One thing that I will note is, and and maybe this changes things for you, I don't know, but a couple of the blue control decks I played against also had the Scarab God, which was, like, really good. Yeah, just not a card I considered. Tell me more about what they were doing with Scarab God and and kind of, you know, how you see its position going forward. So, kind of what I was talking about earlier where, you know, maybe you put in, like, some prized amalgams and they're, like, slowly dealing with your stuff and... Maybe you end up with, like, a 3-2 and a 1-1 left over or something, and then they just, like, jam a Torrential Gearhulk. And now they have a blocker, you're on a clock, and things are just kind of spiraling out of control. But if you can take their traction away, if you can kill the Gearhulk, everything's fine, right? You can just grind them out with your recursive shitbags. Mm-hmm. The Scarab God was kind of a similar thing where they just, like, jam a 5-5, and... If you don't have a really great tempo play, like, you can't just, like, kill it, keep hitting them, and then if they recast it, they're just, like, dead on board or something. Like, that thing is going to take over. It's really hard to deal with. Like, 5-5 doesn't get glory bringered. It is kind of hard to harness lightning. Maybe this was part of an issue with, like, the deck that I was playing where I was playing Teamer Emerge against both of these opponents, but if they took, like, my Trekker or my Champion of Wits, it was just over. It was game over. Yeah, I slept on this card so hard, but when you mentioned using his ability on a champion of wits, I got instantly excited. Man, what a blowout that is. Um, and, and like you said, there's a lot of creatures in this format who you benefit from getting this kind of uh, recursion out of them. Uh, you know, things like Thought Not Seer. That's pretty good. A lot of cool Glory stuff Bringer. Yeah, Glory Bringer, sure. <laughs> just, just tons of very neat recursive targets. I don't know what it was about this card that kind of kept it off my radar. Maybe it was, you know, just being underwhelmed with the gods in general. But as I think of this in the context of those style of decks, it does seem like a very strong card. Another possible home for this, 
I played against a very dedicated bolus deck. And when I say very dedicated, I mean th- it was playing things like uh, Dark Intimations. That's kind of the mini Cruel Ultimatum in Grixis. Beyond that, Sweepers, Spot Removal. It was more black-red control splash blue. Hell yeah. Yeah, kind of what we were discussing. Um, I thought his mana costs were a little high. I know I, I thought not seared him on one turn, and he had like double hour of devastation, like two boluses, and a dark intimation. And I'm like, well, that doesn't seem like a very good curve. Uh, yeah, it's not great. No. But there, there's something there. There's some interesting territory to explore. His mana base also seemed horrible. That's definitely something you'd have to figure out as well. But this certainly, the Scarab God seems like a natural fit there. And I kept wondering, you know, I was on Moto kind of buying cards throughout the week. And the Scarab God's price stayed so high. When I hadn't seen anyone speak about it in any constructed context, I really didn't have a potential home for it. I mean, we talked about it a little bit in Zombies and pretty much immediately discarded that idea. But I'm starting to get interested in this guy. I want to I want to think a little bit more about maybe where I could maximize him. If if you get to play this thing on a clear board, I, I, I think you just win. Because yeah. either they deal with it somehow, you just immediately get it back. Uh, one of the things that actually came up where I made a mistake, and maybe this lost me the match actually, I fought over a harness lightning on my turn to try and kill it to like attack with something. But what I should have done was wait until my end step Mm -hmm. because then it wouldn't have come back until his next end step and he wouldn't have got to recast it on that turn. And maybe I would have won that way. But regardless, yeah, you play this on a dry board and if they kill it, they're taking time off to like kill this thing. You just get it back. You get to replay it like their their best hope is to just like tempo you out from there. But it's so impossible when they just have four mana reanimate a thing. So when you evaluate this card, basically ignore the first few lines of text, like the stuff with the zombies and draining them. It's like, if the game goes on that long, sure, whatever. But this card is just good on its own. Yeah, I guess that, you know, it kind of tricked us by pointing towards zombies, and that's where we stopped our analysis. But upon deeper reflection, this does seem like quite a good control finisher. I think what I missed, too, was that it exiles from... Any creature. Yeah, any creature from any graveyard. So... Also, them, like, getting their Gear Hulk is just really sick, too, but... Yeah, a lot of good targets for this guy. I, I, I don't think that this is enough to make me go back and revisit Blueback Control, because honestly, my games went that poorly <laughs> that I kind of don't... I mean, I certainly need a total retool before I explore it again, but uh, we, we definitely missed the power level of this, and I will have to think a little bit more about if I need to start building decks around it. Yeah, so instead of Black Red... Splashing Bolas. I want Black Red, Splash, Bolas, and the Scarab God. Scarab God. That, that's sure. what I want to try. Seems easy enough. I don't think that's really an outlandish demand to place on your mana base. I, I think once you start getting into the Dark Intimations, which honestly, I know it says Bolas on it, but it's probably not that good of a spell if we're being honest, given how difficult it is to cast. It doesn't seem worth five mana to me. No, I don't think so either. A card that was in that deck that did impress me a bit was Doomfall. Now, granted, I was playing red-green ramp, so that's a pretty strong card uh, against my style of deck. But I-, I know you were low on that card. You thought it was a little overpriced. In our games, it, it was very functional. It certainly did exactly what I needed to do in every spot. It dealt with my Reality Smashers several times, um, which is a nice little thing for them to have access to. It exiles. That's a very big deal in this format, as we know. So, yeah, there's, there's some, good, some good control cards for the, the blue-black decks out there. And someone's going to have to figure out how to get them in the right order. And it's obviously not me. Yeah, so Doomfall was a four of in the black-red list that 5 owed and got oh, posted okay. today. Okay. And it, they just had that along with Goblin Dark Dwellers, and that seemed pretty reasonable. And Ooh, Yeah, that sounds nice to me. Yeah, I mean, they could actually hit you with, like, discard spell into discard spell and put you on a clock. Like, it, it is possible that the 
black red deck could have a chance against the ramp deck, which normally isn't the case. So, yeah, I'm looking at this list now. Man, would I love to to see some of these scarab gods in here? Now that I know that card's really good. Bringing back your goblin dark dwellers seems nice. Like, what actually handles scarab god? Like, I think for cards that I was playing, unsummon and essence scatter do a pretty good job against it. And then, like, maybe Doomfall, maybe Stasis Snare? Um, well, my answer is going to be Ulamog. So you just you can't ask, ask sure. me any of these questions right now, because I will always say Ulamog. That's the benefit of playing this deck, is that you get answers to everything. Um, but more realistically, I, I guess things like Cast Out would be the first thing to come to mind. Um, Does if anyone you, even play that card? I don't think so, no. I don't, I don't think it's widely played, and probably correctly so. If you look in the, the same deck that we're talking about right now, the red-black deck, he has an Hour of Glory in his main deck. I had one of those in the sideboard of my blue-black deck. I didn't really know why. I was just like, uh, maybe I want this card. Well, now we're starting to get some decent reason, decent reasons why. That's a nice, clean answer. Okay. Doomfall, if you play properly, yep. answers the god. Yeah, so there's options out there. I think you have to look a little bit harder than maybe, you know, you usually do, but there's answers. Word. Uh, what else we got? <laughs> I played against some, some fun blue-black decks. Little Vile Manifestation Abandoned Sarcophagus deck. Yeah, I had to Google Abandoned Sarcophagus because I had literal no clue what that card did. I read that card and I was like, I don't know if this is like good or not because the cycling cards don't seem particularly great to hard cast. Like, if there was a really good cycling removal spell, then maybe. But basically, all my opponent was doing with it was replaying the like two you counter unless they pay one for each card in your graveyard. Does that seem that bad? I, I think that's probably pretty good. And and certainly now his uh, his value manifestations are a recursive threat. You need to have answers to them in the long term otherwise they're basically scrap heap scrounger supercharged scrap heap scrounger yeah that never came up when i, when I played against him i was playing monument so okay. my, my removal actually just exiled but vile manifestation the counter spell i forget the name countervailing winds and then it was just like a bunch of sensors and like hard removal spells that didn't cycle so i don't know i think you could build your deck in such a way where the sarcophagus actually does stuff but it didn't seem to do a lot in in that deck uh, but yeah, he was just like a lot of cycling interaction, vile manifestation, some bone pickers to combo with his own removal spells, and then sarcophagus to kind of lock it up. Yeah, we we had talked about vile manifestation last week. I thought it was a pretty real card. I mean, it's it's rate looks good in a lot of spots. Um, it gets big very quickly. You know, we had talked about it more as a B plan for the new perspectives deck. As I have tooled around with that deck, there's some real problems. First of all, you know, the first card we talked about there was the the uh, demonic tutor it's really hard to get black into that deck it just doesn't line up properly with the dual lands and and to play as much black as that card demands is very very difficult so i started looking at like kind of uh a kind of a split nature deck where it was half new perspectives combo half just a beatdown deck with vile Mist manifestation and hollow one and then using fling as my kill just making like basically an arbitrarily large vile manifestation okay. and throwing it at them it just doesn't work. You you can't really have a B plan in New Perspectives because you have to have seven cards in your hand. So as soon as you start doing anything else, you really just muck up any chance you have at actually getting to a, an active New Perspectives. So I, I think probably I have to let that idea die. But I'm happy to hear that people are exploring Vile Manifestation in other contexts because it, it doesn't take a lot of imagination to, to see it start getting Tarmogoyf-sized or even larger on the front end. So Oh, yeah. No, it, they, like that card was big every time. It was just like, can I protect my Delver? And it was like, well, I have like 10 removal spells, so not really. Yeah, and this goes back to my thoughts. You said you were playing Monument. I've been talking a lot about Graveyard Hate. 
And if there's a deck that can afford to not play any Graveyard Hate, it's proactive things like Blue-White Monument who can just kind of ignore all these plans that your opponents are doing. I also had two crooks in my sideboard. <laughs> okay. So so do you think that was necessary? I, I was under the impression that if there is a deck in the format that can just kind of ignore all these shenanigans that people are doing and just go over the top and kind of do its thing better than the opposing deck could do, it would be Blue-White Monument. Yeah, to some degree. I mean, it depends what your opponent is doing. But I, I basically just like had some empty slots and I realized very quickly that Gideon is not what I wanted because it was like, all right, I have a turn where I can play Gideon against this red deck and I guess I have to Anthem because they're just going to Hour of Devastation me. Yeah. So it's yeah. like, okay, well, that was my play pattern every single game. So it's like, all right, I don't want to play Gideon anymore. And I thought with like my three negates and whatever that I would be okay against Ramp and played against Ramp, got smushed. So... I, I had like the two crooks and the Gideons that could be other things potentially. I'm in, I'm inclined to believe that the deck doesn't need graveyard hate right now. One of the few times I will say that as we're discussing the decks in the format, but you know, I'm, I'm happy to be proven wrong if that's not true. I, I think against something like blue red emerge, as long as you are containing their clock, eventually you're going to play like cloud blazers and bygone bishops and just kind of like outlast them. You have flyers to block. So it's basically just about not getting tempoed out and not getting destroyed by a Kozilek's return. But okay. against anything that's maybe like not deep fiending, like maybe like red black or something. Yeah, the monument is just going to like gum up the ground and you'll be fine. So maybe the deck doesn't actually need graveyard hate. I don't know. But the other vile manifestation deck I played against was... The other the- vile manifestation deck. There's, there's that many vile manifestation decks running around right now. Apparently. Apparently. I don't know. What world do we live in? Uh, had a bunch of cycling creatures... And Corrupted Grafstone, because Grafstone with Cycling Creatures is sweet. Uh, Vile Manifestation and Gate to the Afterlife. Yeah, that's a card. I mean, we've, we've talked about it. We think it could have a potential home. I don't know. There's a lot of abrades out there. A lot of them. I know. Do you want to talk about that, actually? Because, like, I played against a bunch of decks where it seemed like a braid was just worse than Harness Lightning. And, and part of this was, like, me starting my Team or Emerge deck with a braid instead of Harness Lightning. And that was a mistake. Yeah. Uh, one of the things... <laughs> taking it back to ramp again one of the things that people often comment on in my ramp list is that right now i'm splitting a braid and dissenters deliverance i have two dissenters deliverance to a braid and the reason i've been very happy with that split is because i find a lot of spots where you just don't want number one artifact removal and then there's a bunch of spots where you don't actually want the three damage spell it's it's not that good yeah no you're, you're kind of pre-sideboard in that regard I think so, yeah. And and I've been happy with that approach and just having another cycler in my deck. I don't want to give people credit of kind of adapting to the removal spells of the format this early on. But when I was thinking, like, how would I approach brewing for this Pro Tour, there is an interesting concept which has come up a bunch of times where you kind of identify the best removal in the format and you just build around it. And again, if we're talking Pro Tours, I remember Pro Tour Amsterdam, a big theme of that Pro Tour was people built their decks in such a way that they weren't damaged by Punishing Fire because Punishing Fire plus Grove was legal in that format. So you could very easily start thinking of, you know, how do I build my deck so a braid just does nothing against me? And, you know, against my deck, it destroys a walking ballista and that's it. And I'm pretty fine with you using your abrade to do that. It doesn't really matter to me. Um, and it's one of the reasons why I don't play things like two mana ramp guys. So I've made that move a little bit. I think it's reasonable to think that at least the good deck builders out there are starting to kind of preemptively think about their threats a little bit more carefully in the face of a braid because it should be ubiquitous. I, I think a lot of lists have started with four braid in these early days. 
you would be well served to not make yourself super vulnerable to that card. So moving all in on something like God Pharaoh's Gift, I don't know. I, I'm sure there'll be a time for it. It's probably a little too early right now. Yeah, I, I, like I said, I think it's a sideboard plan. I think it's just much better as that. That seems safer to me. It, it's just like <laughs> you, you, you're going to put all your eggs in that basket. It's so much work on the setup. You're playing these, you know, in some cases, four suboptimal cards, uh, depending on how many of the, the gates you have. And, and then either that or you're paying seven mana for do nothing if it gets abraded. Like what a blowout. <laughs> I traded seven mana for two mana and I wasted my entire turn. Not yeah. what I'm looking for right now. Yep. Uh, I got Kefnet's last worded. That was that was pretty bad for me. What did Kefnet take from you? Uh, he he took a tireless tracker. Yeah, that card seems good. I I think that that cycle of cards they're going to prove to be better than people think right now. Uh, even things like Bantu's Last Reckoning, which I was playing in blue black, it has upside. I, I I know it seems like it's just a disaster, but if you start thinking about permutations of how you can play the game and a three mana wrath versus a five mana wrath there's still a lot of spots where you can come out ahead on tempo like let me give you an example say you're you needed to wrath on turn six and your wrath costs five mana well you would play five mana wrath and then your shields would be down on that next turn in this case you're able to play three mana wrath keep your shields up on the next turn so you you cast a counter spell on your opponent's next turn and then you have your untapped turn so even in that case you've made an additional land drop You've moved the game further along, which is kind of what control is seeking to do in, in most cases anyway. So I, I don't think you necessarily come out worse than you would have had you just cast the five mana wrath, even though you took a turn off of your play. Uh, obviously, it's very easy to paint the, the downside of these options too, but I, I'm willing to kind of take these chances when I get discounted spells. And I think a lot of these spells are, are going to see play and, and be just fine. They're not world beaters, but they're interesting options. Yeah, the question is, what does the five mana wrath actually give you as additional value, right? You should always get something at this point. That's true. All the five mana wraths have been upgraded. So if, if you're comparing it out outside of colors, you get Hour of Devastation, which could potentially kill a Gideon. I mean, I guess I haven't really played against many Planeswalkers outside of Chandra at this point. So I'm not sure how often you're actually going to get like full, full value from Hour of Devastation. And Monument looks like it's kind of bad in this metagame, so... Yeah, I actually I haven't know. killed a Planeswalker yet with an Hour of Devastation, now that you mentioned that. Yeah. It's still been I great. Like, I, It's not like I don't want it, but I, it just crossed my mind that I haven't killed a single Planeswalker with Hour of Devastation. Yeah, I mean, I had the Gideons in my sideboard, and after playing with them, I'm like, these should not be in my deck, probably. Yeah. And I feel sense. like a lot of other people have to be going through similar stuff, so... That's kind of what I've been waiting for this whole time. I've railed against, you know, the state of magic becoming very planeswalker based a bunch of times. I, I enjoy the game when there's less of a planeswalker influence on it. So maybe this is the format I've been waiting for for kind of years now. If Hour of Devastation keeps all these planeswalkers in check, because you're right, it's, it's been just Chandra's. That's really all I've seen lately. Yeah, I, they, they finally made a hero's downfall type card that actually hates them out well enough. Yeah. I only have one more weirdo deck that I played against, and I don't recommend it. It was Metalwork Colossus. Ooh, um, okay. Now, I know that like that's a known deck, but I'm willing to call it a weirdo deck, because as we just talked about a braid kind of making its mark on the format, this seems like a really poor choice right now. I don't know how you justify playing Metalwork Colossus when people are playing four main deck artifact removal spells. It's certainly not where I want to be. I don't know. Can you see any possible window for Metalwork Colossus to kind of shove its foot through? 
not really. I mean, I don't think for a braid on its own is enough to just be like, oh, you can't play this. But it does make it easier for them to just, like, continually, like, keep your base super low, right? To the point where it's like you're comboing maybe two turns later than you're used to. Yeah. It just means that if they have a braid plus something else, it's like you're, it's going to be very tough for you to keep anything in play. I will say that it was one of my two losses with the ramp deck, but this oh. is this is one that I would write off to variance. It didn't feel like I was an underdog, and I just didn't really, you know, see the spells I needed to in the order I needed to, and and drew a little poorly. But yeah, that that's about it for my moto experience. It's it's been a fun two days. I probably honestly will finish this cast and go right back to moto, which you know is is kind of rare for me. I'm more of a I often tend to be more of a theorist than a jam games kind of guy. But I'm just having a good time right now playing games. Yeah, the, the games are just fun too. Yeah, they are. They really are. It, and this is you know people who know me from maybe some of my other casts. I tend to be a, a little bit of a Debbie Downer sometimes. But I think like. I can recognize when things are good and when things are bad. And I think I'm honest about it. I don't think I want things to be bad. I don't like complaining about things, but sometimes things get in a state where I feel obligated to complain. I don't feel that way right now. I feel obligated to play more magic, which is an awesome thing to say. Yeah. Okay. So one last thing that I remembered, uh, vile manifestation fish deck with the sarcophagus also had nimble obstructionist. Oh, okay. Uh, the other thing that I will note about nimble obstructionist, just, by itself is that it and disallow versus eternalizing my champion of wits has been like it, it's been a battle i won't say it's been a struggle but it's been interesting where i'm just like okay i really want to eternalize and i know they have this thing how can i how can i get this through you know yeah i've disallowed a, a champion of wits eternalized trigger and it felt great it felt so good a very nice use for those cards right now yep yeah, so both those cards are great. I used to be, I don't know, I, I'd flip-flop depending on the metagame, like Disallow versus Scatter to the wins, but it's just Disallow the, the whole way for me. Agreed. Not even considering Scatter right now. I, I think it's just clear Disallow. Yep. Well, uh, what should I play next? What do you think? You have to play Ramp. I mean, I, I not to beat a dead horse, but you need to get games in with this deck. I, first of all, I, I want to hear your opinion. I want to collaborate with you on it. Uh, and second of all, I just think like, you have a PT coming up and you're going to need to know about this deck. So get in your reps now, you know, maybe get out in front of it a little bit. Think about the future. Think about ways to evolve the deck list. And I think it's going to benefit you come Pro Tour time. Word. What are you going to play with? I'm going to play more ramp. Sorry. I'll, I'll get to something eventually. But honestly, I feel like I'm being just handed free treasure chests right now. And I, man, I love me some treasure chests. Oh, come on, man. You could be working for like hundreds of dollars an hour. You're like excited about getting like three treasure chests. <laughs> I am much happier getting treasure chests than I was getting large lawyer paychecks. I'll say that. I so. know, I know, but it's, it's not all about value, man. There's value no, in no, fun. But it's so fun to open the treasure chest. I guess it's more about gamble than value. Oh, you're, you're opening them. Okay. So you actually have a problem. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm just, don't, don't get me wrong. I'm spewing value all over the place, but you know, okay, that's well, when I hit that, uh, Rishadun port and then I don't know what I do with it. I'll probably just keep it in my account and let it rot there until they reprint it, but still I'll have it and I'll feel good about it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. I just, I, I look at mine, I look at the number grow and then I sell them to nameless faceless bot corporation. You are a smarter man than I am. Oh yeah. Just pinching those moto pennies, man. <laughs> That's game. Good luck.